Good morning, South Coast Community Church. Weird to speak to an empty room, but I know that you're all there at home, tuned in and, and, and waiting and watching for a, a worship service and a word from Pastor Brian Doobie. So this morning, um, before I get into the announcements, I, I wanted to ask a question real quick. Where are you this morning? And I don't mean why are you not here or where are you physically? I want you to ask yourself, where are you in the midst of all of this? We've been locked down for a little while now, and, and things have really changed. Things are really different. You know, the norm is, this new norm actually, is strange. And uh, it's really easy for us to get caught up with, with the politics of it, the conspiracy theories, and the negativity. But what really, what we should be doing is, is we should be capitalizing on this opportunity how well do you know your neighbors? Who needs to hear from you today? Do you have a family member or, or a friend or someone you know that is struggling and really, really needs to hear a voice of encouragement, a word of support? If so, I want you to, to remember what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, to consider others more highly than yourselves. To remember that that's who we are as the church and that, that's who we are as human beings. If we put others first, and if we really embrace the meaning of community, then things can be really good. And so I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Pastor Jamie Casey. I'm the associate pastor here at South Coast Community Church. And, uh, and I just want to thank you for tuning in. I want to ask you if you have a moment right now to just share the live stream uh, on your timeline. And, and encourage others, invite others to join us this morning and uh, I'm really excited. I, I, um, today we get to do something that we've never done. Uh, it's another adjustment that we're making because of this whole COVID uh, pandemic. And uh, we're going to do communion today. But we're not going to do communion here in this building. We're not going to go to your home or we're not going to ask you to, to grab some juice and some crackers. What we're going to do is, is we're inviting everybody to come on out to uh, the old True Value Hardware, Fairhaven True Value Hardware at 23 Popes Island on the bridge. And uh, we're going to do drive-through communion, which I think is really cool. So what's going to happen is, is Pastor Brian and I are each going to set up a table. We're going to have masks and gloves and take all the necessary precautions. And we're going to ask you each to, one at a time, drive forward. We're going we're to uh, give you guys your, your, your elements, and then we're going to pray for you, and we're going to get to see you. We may not be able to hug and, and spend the normal time that we would, but it's something, and it's making the best use of this time. So I'm, I'm inviting all of you, please, come on out, 12 p.m., directly following this service, 23 Popes Island, Jump in your car. I don't even care if you're in your pajamas or if you comb your hair with a pillow this morning. It's all right. If you haven't noticed, Pastor Brian does that every week. So uh, the other announcements, and, and obviously it's Mother's Day today. And, I, and, and so this is something personal, and I'm going to be really selfish for a minute here. But first, I want to I wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. Uh, we want to thank you moms, uh, us guys especially. Uh, our lives would be a mess without you. Uh, I want to thank um, all the moms, especially here at South Coast Community Church, who are, 
who are sort of spiritual moms, if you will, to all of us. And we're very grateful for you this morning. Uh, I think of, you know, Jocelyn and Kathy and Becky and, and some of those moms, Michelle Torres, who have just been amazing, uh, the women who work and serve in the kitchens and things like that. But I also want to not forget, um, for those of you who are, who, are, who are really struggling today, you know, as much as we celebrate these Hallmark holidays, um, I, I want to remember and let you know that we, we do appreciate those of you who have lost your mom, uh, who maybe this is even your first Mother's Day without, that, without your mom, um, or whether it's your 10th or your 20th, um, I'm sure it stings today. And so we want to let you know we're, we're thinking about you and we're sorry that you're mourning this day. And I also, um, and here's where I get selfish, and I'm going to do my best here to keep it together. And thank God I don't have a room full of people. I want to wish my wife a happy Mother's Day. This is her first one. For seven years, my, my wife um, endured Mother's Day as a woman who was uh, unable to be a mom. And we prayed and I watched her with dignity and faith endure each Mother's Day uh, with her head held high, praying and celebrating other moms. Well, today, I celebrate you, dear. And I am so grateful for you and the mom that you are to my son. So thank you, and thank you, God, for, for making her a mom. Uh, it's something that she's always wanted and wished for, so uh, we're grateful today. Enough of that, right? So I want to also remind you to join us for midweek service. We have a, I give a message every Wednesday night at 6.30 live on Facebook. And uh, it's just a quick 15 to 20, 20 minute devotional on uh, a portion of scripture that, that God's put on my heart. And then we have our uh, midweek discipleship group at 7 p.m. We do that on Zoom. And if uh, you want to get involved with that group or any other group for that matter, uh, you want to get connected, you want to do more, you want to you study the Bible with a group of folks or, or whatever it is, you just need some support and need to belong to a community, please let us know. You can email me or Pastor Brian. My email is jamie at sccc.org and Pastor Brian is brian at sccc.org. Either one of us would be happy to get you connected and, and point you in the right direction. So um, these Zoom groups are happening. I, I just, um, before we get started, I, I, I want to pray here. But I want to read this scripture that was on my heart this morning. And I pray that it encourages you. It's, it's really been a, a, um, a scripture that I've leaned on a lot through this, these last several weeks. Uh, Pastor Brian and I, we're extroverts. We're built for, for community and for people. And uh, we, we love to engage and hug. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I broke the rules today and I hugged a bunch of people. So uh, God forgive me. And uh, I know I'm a horrible example at some times. But man, did it feel good to see my friends and hug them today. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Such a comforting scripture this morning. So wherever you are right now, I just ask you to bow your heads with me. In this moment, just be present. This isn't just another TV show on Netflix. This isn't just, uh, you know, another podcast or, 
or YouTube video. What this is is a moment where we come together wherever, where we are because the church has left the building and we worship together as one, on one accord in full agreement. So let's pray together right now. Let's just bow and get the most out of this next hour and a half or so. Father, we are so grateful that even though the world is upside down right now, Lord, things aren't the way that they, they normally are or should be or could be, Father, that you've provided ways for us to connect. You've provided, Father, um, these mediums like Facebook and Zoom and YouTube so that we could still worship you, still bring your message forth, God, still share the gospel, still bring encouragement and, and support to those at home who need it now more than ever. Lord, there are people who are going to turn in, tune in today who are seeking you, who are seeking some hope. Father, they're tired. They're tired of being home. They're tired of being isolated. They're tired of, of not feeling whole or complete. Lord, they're tired of life. And so, God, right now, I pray like you ready their hearts, their minds, their spirits to receive something today that they've never received before. Father, I pray that they hear a word or a message here today that would change their lives, would transform their lives and their eternities forever. God, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you, Father, for calling us out of the darkness and setting our feet on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm so grateful, Father, that we know you. Lord, that your grace abounds, Lord. Your mercy abounds, especially when we don't deserve it. So, Father, I ask you to have your way now in the worship. I ask you, Father, to have your way with Pastor Brian as he shares a word. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would take over here, that you would inhabit our praises, Lord, and, Father, that your light would shine brightly through this live stream today. That people who never heard or saw or, or even considered Jesus would make the decision for him today, God. Reach out to him now, Lord. Have your way and do your thing. And help us to get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, church. Um, I just want to start off by saying that Pastor's message and his ending prayer last week had stuck with me throughout the week. Um, one line he was talking about, he said that God is good even when we, we can't see or understand um, in those times. And that's what this song talks about, where it says, uh, it's talking about our, our, um, our condition instead of our circumstance. He says, where streams of abundance flow. But then he goes on to say, though I walk through the wilderness. And then again he says, when the world is all as it should be. And then he says, on a road marked with suffering. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Because he is always good. And remind us of that, Lord. Blessed be your name, and 
land that is plentiful where streams of abundance flow blessed be your name blessed be your name when i'm found in the desert place though i walk through the wilderness blessed be your name every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise when the darkness closes in lord still i will say blessed be the name of the lord blessed be your name blessed be the name of the lord blessed be your glorious name blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me when the world's all as it should be blessed be your name Blessed be your name On the road marked with suffering Those pain in the offering Blessed be your name Every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise When the darkness closes in Lord Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your Father, may we be reminded today, Father, to, to worship you in all things, Lord. That you are good in all circumstance, Father God. Even when we can't always understand or believe, Lord, you deserve all of our worship. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, that we gather together in spirit, that we are united in Christ. Father, help us 
to realize that worship isn't just words we sing, but it's a posture of our heart, and help us to have that now. Have your way in each of us. Soften hearts, draw men and women unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, Izzy, and uh, I want to say hello to Harrison and to Grayson. Uh, Two little boys last week, they were talking to the TV and they didn't understand why I didn't respond to them. Can't you hear me? Well, I hear you guys and I just wanted to say hello. So, um, you know, obviously last week we started a a sermon and the title was Close to the Brokenhearted. And uh, and just like they say, don't pray for patience. uh, If you preach a sermon close to the brokenhearted, uh, things may happen in your life. And so I want to share a little from my last week because my SCC folks know that I'm always open and honest about my walk and my life and my struggle. I found that if we are, if we are authentic, if we're transparent, that that creates a community that's authentic and transparent and the Spirit will work in that and we're all being healed together. We're all following Jesus together. And so that's, that's, a, that's a struggle. Life is difficult. Jesus tells us in this world you will have trouble. Not you might, but you will. So I just had an overwhelming probably week or so, uh, a couple weeks really, but just a rough time. I was tied and worn out. I got frustrated with my wife and my kids. I felt myself, you know, sometimes you just get easily annoyed and things that really shouldn't bother you are bothering you. And I was just tired. I was just weary. Uh, my sister had to have her, her dog put down, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a dog guy, and it was heartbreaking to, to see her go through that. Uh, my mother is in the hospital right now. She should be getting out as we speak. She's, she's okay, but she had some uh, heart issues, and she had to go to the hospital, and that was, you know, some uncertainty. She was brought there Saturday morning. I found out yesterday a friend of mine passed away. There's a lot of heavy stuff happening in the midst of just everything else in our lives, Right? And so it's interesting that I can preach a message about the Lord being close to the brokenhearted and that I myself can feel such a profound disconnection. And I want to share that with you because the strategy of the enemy is always to isolate us. The strategy of the enemy is always to separate us from those things that nourish and fill us, to make us a slave to our feelings or emotions over and above the truth of God's word. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. So I had a rough week. The lack of being able to see all of you and my family and my friends. The lack of civility overall. The division. I was just worn out. I had a few papers to write. So I was, I was pressed into the Word. I, was, I had a class that I just finished. I had devotions I had to prepare. I had the sermon I had to work on. So I was in the, the Word, I was with the Lord, but I was in the Word to teach and to think for other people. You know, I was preparing things to be able to teach. And it's easy sometimes in the midst of that to neglect your own nourishment. It's easy to make the mistake that doing things for God is the same as resting in His presence. And so we can neglect, I neglected, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so I took a drive. I decided I'm going to go to Ned's Point. That's like my place in Mattapoisa, the lighthouse. When I was a little kid, my father used to take me there on his motorcycle. I've been in love with that place ever since. So I went there, and, and I was standing in the water, knee deep, because you know, I wanted to swim. I was ready to swim, but I'm in the water, and I'm you know, trying to pray, and my phone rings. And 
and I had to, I would have liked to have shut it off, but I had, you know, some things, you know, happening, and I, I needed to be able to, to, people to get in touch with me, and so I do some IT consulting, and they had an issue, and it was kind of a big thing, and so, okay, so now I'm driving back from, you know, I'm like kind of having this thing like, I can't even get away, I want to rest, I'm trying to, and as I'm driving on the highway, I literally see a sign, and the sign says, anxious, with a question mark, rest in Jesus, and I thought, well, that's nice to have for everybody, you know, else, everybody else, and I, and I say, yeah, rest in Jesus, and I hear this voice go, you know that you can rest in him, right, and immediately I go, of course I know that, and then, and then it was kind of this, you know, this, this conversation with the Spirit of God, are you sure you know that? Do you really know that? Because I knew it in my head, but I had forgotten it, or I needed to be reminded of it in my heart. That sign, I'm sure, uh, you know, I would have driven by that and thought, oh, that's good. That's a good message for everybody else. But it was a message for me. You see, being in the Word helps, and praying helps, and talking to other Christians will help, but there is nothing like getting to the end of yourself. There's nothing like crying out to God and brokenness and just asking for His presence. Nothing else. I don't want you to change anything. I don't want you to answer any prayers. I just want you to be with me. Because preaching is not simply presenting information. And the reason I share this with you is because I want you to understand that. Preaching is allowing the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to change hearts forever. And so I want to move myself out of the way, and I want to allow God to use me as a vessel to speak to you, not just to encourage you with words, but to encourage you with the very presence of God Himself. Because God wants us to find His rest in Him, not in our circumstances, and not just in His promises, but in His presence. You see, this is a truth I know in my head. I've preached it. I've taught it. I believe it. I live it. But I needed to be reminded in my heart. And no surprise, it just wrecked me. I pulled over in my truck and I just wept because of how faithful God is to me again and again and again. Because of how patient he is with me again and again and again that when I get frustrated and when I get angry and when you know I, I can't even get away I can't even you know step away he lets me know that he's a good father that he's a heavenly father and that he loves me and he loves you that way and I preach for this reason John tells us in in chapter 20 31 the reason that he writes and he says this but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I preach not just to give you information. I preach so you know the character of God, so you put your trust and faith in Him, because I want you to have life. Because I want you to know what it means to really live. And so hear me out for a minute. Before we delve into this close to the broken hearted, we're going to do the second part. I don't care if things get difficult for you. I don't care if we are all made very uncomfortable in the situation around us. If that causes us to turn to God. 
If that causes us to stop and realize our security was never in our finances or in our health or even in our relationships, but in God alone. And I want you to know this not just in your head, but in your heart. Because I lived for a long time with restlessness. No matter what I did, no matter what I, I sought after, I just had this, this anxiety, this restlessness, this, this longing. And so don't waste this experience, this experience of, of maybe spiritual evaluation, of maybe considering what life's all about. Allow this to change you for the better. If the worst thing that ever happens in your life brings you to the saving knowledge of a relationship with Jesus, then that's the best thing that's ever happened to you. I promise you that. We say this a lot here, this quote by Augustine, we've repeated it. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And so as I begin this sermon this morning, my prayer for each of us, whether we know him and we've maybe lost our way or we don't know him, is that we find our rest in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So to recap from last week, Psalm uh, 34, 18, we said the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We said that sometimes it seems like there's no hope. That sometimes, particularly in the midst of struggle, it can, it can seem like we're all alone. That we may feel like giving up. And yet, despite what is going on around us, God asks each of us to choose faith. And so last week we said that choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not. There's three things it will not do. I'm going to recap those. It will not eliminate the pain. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering does not mean we don't feel pain. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not stop the questions. Doesn't mean that all our questions are going to be answered or that we're going to, you know, stop questioning the why. And choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not necessarily create a logical reason for your suffering. I can see when I look back at my life that God took difficult times in my life and he used those to draw me into a relationship with him. I can understand that. They call that sort of absorbed evil. Like evil that from which better things come or good comes from it. So I can understand the logic behind that. But it, when you're in the midst of suffering, it's not logic you're looking for. It's, it's a very emotional thing. You're looking for, uh, for healing. And so this week we're going to look at what, what it will do. What it won't do is it won't eliminate the pain. It won't stop the questions. It won't create a logical reason. What it will do, what it can and will do, is it will remind you God is in control it will be a rare gift to God, and I'm going to explain that. And it will bring us closer to God. For the sake of time, I'm going to highlight some of the things we read last week in Romans 8. I'm going to kind of skip around, but I want to read some of the things that kind of set the stage for what we were talking about. Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. In other words, in comparison to eternity, there's not even a comparison. In verse 26, he talks about in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when we pray, sometimes we don't have the words, we can't articulate. We just have this, this, this weariness, this emptiness. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. That should encourage us. And then in 28, we said, and we know that God, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
And we set that in context. We said that's an ultimate promise. That sometimes we'll go through difficulty, but God will work even in the midst of that. And in verse 31, Paul says, What shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? We said the God who didn't hold back on giving his son Jesus is certainly not going to hold back. And then finally we said, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul closes, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that will encourage us this morning. So God will work all things out ultimately for the good of those who love him. But it's important that sometimes we do not see what we expect to see in this life. The promise is the love of God for eternity. And the promise is the presence of God for today. As believers, we will never be separated from God because of Christ. And our hope is in that promise. That no matter what we go through, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That all my difficulties, all my struggles, they were real, they caused pain, they affected me. But in all those things, I needed to be be reminded that God was still with me. He was still present. That he still loved me. That nothing was going to separate me from his love. And so we looked at Job. We're going to look more this week. And it says, Job. we said Job responded to his suffering with great faith. And so his story and his response led, led us to a very important question. How will you respond when your world caves in? Will you dare choose faith? And the way you answer that question has a lot to do with your view of who God is before the trials come. Of what your faith is put in before the trials come. For, for most of us, I mean, God can use our difficulties to bring our attention to Him for the first time. But for a lot of us, it's, you know, when we're, when we're in the midst, for me now, when I'm in the midst of struggle, when I'm in the midst of difficulty, I can look back and go, wait a minute. Me and God, we've been through some stuff. I know who he is. I know he's with me. And it gives me some encouragement to to go forward. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not eliminate the pain. We know that Job was nearly crushed by the pain of his suffering. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground. Job 1.20 tells us this. His physical ailments were so painful, we said he used pottery as instruments of his surgery. And yet, in the midst of that, we're reminded of this. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the Lord, may the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. Choosing faith, it will not stop the questions. We said last week in the book of Job, two chapters of faith were followed by immediate 35 chapters of questions. And he wasn't alone with his questions. He said, Jeremiah couldn't preach without weeping. David wrestled with questions for years. Paul wasted two years in a prison cell in Caesarea in the middle of his best days. 
And that's where he wrote, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He wrote that from a place of, of understanding what it meant to struggle. He wasn't detached from that reality. And of course, the questions about suffering reached the mouth of Jesus. Must I really do this? Is there another way? Jesus realizing he'll face separation from his Father. Again, the, the very thing I said we need to pray for and we need to hold on to the promise was the very thing that, that Jesus cons- talked about, you know, may this cup pass from me. It wasn't the cross and the suffering as much as it was the disconnection from the Father in heaven for the first time because of our sin. It doesn't create a logical reason for suffering. We know that suffering affects all of us. The rich and the poor. It doesn't matter about our nationality, how much money we have, where we live. None of those things matter. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that hardship, faith is an option. We saw Job's friends try mightily to find logic when they looked at the illogical comparison of great faith and great suffering. It doesn't make sense. We said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And of course, we said the greatest tragedy in all human history, the cross, And from that dark day, the greatest of all gifts was possible. So despite all the reasons why Job may not have chosen faith, he chose faith anyway. And by far, he made the best choice. So what will choosing faith in the midst of suffering do? Well, first of all, it will remind us that God is in control. It's a difficult thing to choose faith. It's a difficult thing to trust the very God who seems to have allowed the difficult circumstance in the first place. I mean, it's one thing to just say that intellectually, well, sure, I trust God. Well, do you really trust God? It's easy to trust God when everything's going your way, but do you really trust Him when difficulty comes? And and when you look and you realize, well, God, you you could remove this difficulty. It's within your power and ability, and you're not. And I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't want that to be the case. And so do we trust him then? Now look carefully at Job's story. And I said, you know, read through it. The only being in complete control of all events is God. Throughout the entire event, God is always in control. Choosing choosing faith, faith doesn't allow God to be in control. It only reminds us that the truth that he's always been and always will be in control. I mean, you can look at the conversation between God and Satan. Job would have struggled with this conversation as much as we do. We don't like that. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't seem fair. You know, I was having a conversation the other day. I was, we were teaching the youth group. And they had some conversations uh, about salvation. We were talking about all these different things. And, and one of the things I said to the, to the youth group is, whenever we're considering the mind of God with our finite minds, whenever we're trying to understand the way God does things, and He's infinite and all-powerful and all-knowing, if what He does doesn't seem fair or just or perfect or good, then we have to realize that our standards must be off that that we, we must be seeing things incorrectly because he is perfectly just and perfectly fair and sovereign and good and all those things. He must be the, the epitome of all those things. He's perfectly loving, perfectly fair. So if I think something God's doing is not fair, it's because I'm limited. I use the example of, of my parents. 
Because it's one thing, again, intellectually to know this stuff, but if, if I looked at my parents and they were doing something and it didn't make sense to me, and it didn't seem fair to me, and I said, I wouldn't do it that way, I don't want you to do it that way, that may be the case, but ultimately I would look at their character and say, well, I know that they're good. They've proven that to me. I know that that's true like I know anything else. I know that they love me. I know that they want that, what's best for me. That's, that's beyond a doubt. And so if I'm not seeing what they're doing and I don't understand it, I'm, I'm just going to assume I have less information that maybe, maybe down the road with better perspective, maybe I will understand. And that's how we have to look at our relationship with God. I'm not saying I never question, but when I do question, I go, well, I know he's a good father. I know he loves me. I know he, uh, he ultimately want, wants what's best for me. I know so much about the character of God that I'm just going to assume this is my own ignorance. You know, when, when the disciples began to, to, to uh, walk away from Jesus, when he was teaching things they didn't understand, and they decided to abandon him, Jesus looked at his close friends, his disciples that were left, and he said, you know, are you guys going to take off too now? And Peter said, where are we going to go? And his response wasn't, where are we going to go? We understand all this. No, he said, where are we going to go? We know that you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Where are we going to go, Jesus? We know who you are. We believe who you are. And so even if there are things we don't understand, we're trusting in you. You see, trusting in God is not just trusting in information. It's not just trusting in a position. It's trusting in Jesus himself. So what are our options in the midst of out-of-control suffering? Well, on the one hand, we could reject the God who allows suffering. Many people do that. On the other hand, we can trust the only being in all creation that remains in control above all evil and all suffering. You know, when people say to me, you know, what's God's answer to suffering? I mean, why is there so much suffering? The cross is God's answer to suffering. Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sin is God's answer to suffering. People that say the Bible doesn't address suffering don't understand the cross. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will be a rare gift to God. Anyone can sing a song of praise on the good days, right? We all do that. Praise the Lord. But it takes a person of tremendous faith. It takes a person of tremendous spiritual maturity to sing those same songs of praise on the bad days. And I believe that if we can pull that off, that we give God a precious gift of worship, maybe unlike any other gift we've ever given Him, because then we're praising Him for who He is, not just what He's done. There's nothing wrong with praising God for the blessings. There's nothing wrong with, with worshiping and enjoying, you know, when things are going well. Praise God, that's fine. But if you can praise him for who he is in the midst of it, that's real praise. That's a, that's a mature, heartfelt praise of a person with faith. When the chips are down, can we still praise the Lord? You know, in Teen Challenge, we used to kind of, it was, it, you know, it was a joke and, you know, guys together, the goal is always to make somebody feel bad about themselves. That's what we do as guys. And, and so, you know, we'd always say, well, can you praise him now? And so no matter what difficulties or struggles people were going through, it was kind of a, it was a reminder. We were sincere, but it was kind of like also like, uh, you know, a little, you know, putting a little salt in the wounds as guys do. And so, you know, whatever somebody would happen, you'd be like, well, can you praise him now? Like, you'd get in trouble or, you know, whatever. 
And I remember we had a, a piece of equipment I was trying to load on a trailer. I, I do manual labor every now and then. Just don't let that get out. But so I was pulling the thing up on the trailer, and the hitch came down and hit my knee. And I have never, I mean, I saw white flashes. I thought I was dead right there. It was the most pain I've ever felt. And I looked, and this brother in Christ is not what I wanted to call him. On the side of me, looked at me, and with deadpan face, he said, can you praise him now? <laughs> I have only wanted to kill people a few times in my life, and that was one of them. But, but can you praise him now? In the midst of the great pain, great difficulty, great trials, everything's falling apart. Job was wise enough to know that despite his questions, that despite his uncomfortability with everything, that the answer to the question is, can you praise him now, was a resounding yes. He was wise enough to know that God controlled the good days, the success of his life, and God was in control of the bad days now. And beyond that, Job learned a lesson that must be remembered in a time of suffering. That nothing about your present circumstances, be they good or bad, have changed the first thing about the nature of God. Nothing about your present circumstances or situation, good, bad, or indifferent, change a single thing about the nature of God. He is still the same today as He was yesterday and the same as He will be tomorrow. And He is always worthy of praise. In the midst of the worst of it, when he knew so little that seemed secure, Job hold on, held on, I'm sorry, to one truth. I know that my Redeemer lives. He told his more comfortable friends, in the end he will stand upon the earth. Job 19 verse 25. Job knows that God's in control. Now, without these circumstances, we might not have remembered Job's words at all. But understanding how bad Job had it when he said such a thing, when he was able to still say, my Redeemer lives, that he will stand upon the earth. The fact that he was able to say that is memorable to us, and it's a precious gift to God to worship in the midst of difficulty. And Job wasn't the last man to give such a gift to God to the God who himself allowed the terrible pain. Paul in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Paul writes this from prison. Rejoice. Paul's saying always rejoice. He's a man who knew suffering, was well acquainted with it. He lived those words. Those aren't just things he said. You see, the secret is being able to worship in the difficulty. If you can worship in the midst of the difficulty, you've got the whole thing figured out. If you can praise Him in the valleys as well as in the mountaintops, that's Christian maturity. That is it right there. On their first visit to Philippi, Paul and Silas were wrongly accused. They were beaten severely and they were thrown into stocks in the town dungeon. Now, you know, we think if we do things for God... You know, nowadays, you know, you, you, you're, if you're a celebrity pastor, you get a book deal and you get accolades. And, you know, f- for, th- for their ministry, they got, you know, tortured. And they got put to death and they got in prison. We complain if, you know, people criticize us or, you know, oh, the injustice. I'm, I'm trying to share Jesus with people and they're making fun of me. Paul and Silas didn't say, oh, Lord, how, how, do you, how are you going to put us in prison? We're trying to do all this good stuff for you. No, what were they doing at midnight? Read about it. Acts 16. Were they they second-guessing whether or not they should give their lives to Jesus? 
Where they sang, ah, this ministry, it's too difficult, too much struggle. No, if you read it, it says they were singing their songs of praise to the same God who had let them go through a Job-like day. Because they understood that freeing, freeing truth that God is always worthy of our praise. And there is freedom to praising. It changes us from within. It, 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 it lifts our spirit. Praise Him today. And during that midnight song service, a miraculous earthquake came with just enough power to free the men but not kill them. The single day of suffering coupled with the way two faith-driven men reacted to that suffering created a church in Philippi that would change the world. It was one of the greatest gifts either man ever gave to their Savior. But had they missed that opportunity, they would have never had such a great harvest in that community. If we miss this opportunity now, we will not see the harvest. Let us just press in the ultimate gift of worship in the midst of suffering. Watch Jesus as he struggled with the weight of the cross, with the burden of the task, with the unspeakable pain of the crucifixion, and yet through it all, he committed to what? The will of the Father. His spirit was never committed anywhere else but to the will of the Father. And so if you are in the midst of suffering, you are also in the midst of an incredible opportunity. You can worship him now and you can give a gift that may, may be more valuable than has ever been or ever will be again. Maybe it's the first time in your life, in your walk, you've ever been able to truly worship the Lord in the midst of insanity. Maybe every other time you've worshipped, you felt good. And you're worshiping from that good feeling. And maybe you've never been able to worship feeling bad. It will change you. You know, and people that are part of the church have heard, you know, about my testimony. And I don't want to shit. I don't want to, you know, take away. But I just want to personalize this. Particularly, I know there's some of you watching that don't know. But I, I, I lost my father to cancer. Still to this day, one of the most devastating Losses I've experienced. I struggled for years with an addiction that almost killed me. My wife and my kids saw me overdose and end up hospitalized. I've seen countless friends lose their battle to addiction. Well over 40 friends at this point. Just one yesterday I got the word. Young guy, 27 years old. I've helped parents do what no parent should ever have to do. Bury their children. In this church, we've seen a lot of suffering. I've seen a lot of suffering. But I have again and again in the lives of others, and I have again and again known, oh, have I known the strength and peace of the Lord. And I know it now. In the midst of all of this, and yes, sometimes I get weary and I get distracted, and the enemy wants nothing more than to make me forget the love of God. But God reminds me. And I say, like Peter, to whom shall I go? Not just because I've studied and I have information about God. Not just because I know truths about Him, but because I know Him. And Jesus Christ loved and loves me back to life Again and again and again. And we say that here. This is what we say all the time around this church. 
that we're simply trying to express the love of God to everyone, that we're trying to love people back to life. And finally, the reality is that if you choose faith in the midst of suffering, despite how hot it is, despite what little sense it may make to you, it will bring you closer to God. It will draw you uniquely closer to God. You see, though he didn't know it yet, Job was on his way to the most intimate encounter with God he'd ever have in his lifetime. And through the season of suffering that had fallen upon him, he was starting a journey that would lead to his greatest understanding of who God is. You see, a lot of times the road of suffering is the only road that leads us to that intimacy that we need to encounter with God. And so that's why I said, I don't care if you're having a tough time. Not because I, I don't care, not because I want you to. No, because I know that that has the potential to increase your intimacy with God. And that's what I care about ultimately. Because that's what He cares about ultimately. Now I know, unfortunately, not every person comes closer to God on the road of suffering. And I know that some will go in the opposite direction, further away from Him than ever before. Most of the kings who would rule the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah couldn't find faith in the midst of their hardships. And the kingdoms fell apart as the direct result of their faithlessness. We see the story of a rich man in Scripture who was so afraid to suffer the loss of his material wealth that he missed walking with the Messiah. Judas was so overwhelmed by his own self-inflicted heartache that he missed the resurrection. Think about that. Think about the pity, the guilt, the shame, and he missed the resurrection. But for every lost opportunity, the Bible provides plenty of success stories. All of the patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, suffered for decades before seeing how faithful God could be to those who simply would not let go of the rope of faith. And David became more than a king. He became the most beloved songwriter in the history of faith. And most of his great psalms came straight out of his seasons of suffering. After the days of their popularity disappeared, the disciples knew suffering. But thankfully, they found a life-changing resurrection at the end of the worst weekend in their lives. To say that they learned more about God through that weekend would be a great understatement. They found that the Jesus they'd followed was confirmed the Christ, the Son of God, a Messiah who faced great suffering with great courage. And ever since, those who have suffered and looked for God have been finding hope in the Savior who died for them. If we lose a spouse, a job, a child, our economic position in life, if we lose everything that once mattered to us, it will prove, among other things, to certainly be a spiritual test And how we get through that test will depend primarily on what we know or what we knew or or more importantly what we believed or what we were convinced of before the test. What is your faith in right now? And I know the world likes to say faith is good. It's good to have faith. And it's the object of the faith that makes the faith good. 
It's not good to have faith in something that's not worthy of your faith. It's good to have faith in the God who controls it all, who created it all, who still to this day is intimately involved with His creation. So what do you really believe? I know people say, well, God is good. Really? Are you sure? Do you believe that with your heart, soul, and strength? God loves me. Do you know that? How do you know that? Have you ever thought through that? I believe the Bible. The Bible says that I believe it. How do you know? Because your Sunday school teacher taught it? Because your parents said it? Because you heard it from some some preacher? Because that stuff will quickly fall away. Or is it a deep conviction? You say Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Really? Would you die for that conviction? Is it deeply held? Someone once said, if a truth is not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. See, the Bible tells us in Job 1.22, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Outwardly, Job did not sin. We know inwardly he questioned God. He didn't understand. He wanted answers. He felt alone. Where was God? Right now, maybe you're asking that very reasonable question. Questions we all ask in suffering. Where is God? And yet in chapters 38 through 42, God speaks to Job and restores him. God knows that Job, like many of us, received incorrect guidance from his friends. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God's saying, fittingly, that humans don't know everything. Who are these people that declare words that have words without knowledge, that they darken counsel? In other words, rather than helping, they're making it worse. Because they don't know the truth. Then he humbles Job by asking a series of questions that could never be answered by anyone other than God himself. Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you know all this. God brings Job to an understanding that believers don't always know what God's doing in their lives. And in the end, Job answers God by saying, I have declared that which I did not understand. And then Scripture tells us God then blessed Job with twice as much as he had before his trials began. What are your spiritual convictions? Because Job had some convictions. Even through all that happened, Job believed that God was ultimately good. Job understood that everything he had was a gift from God, that he never really deserved any of it, that it was just a gift. That's proper perspective. Job 1.20, at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will, be, uh, I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away May the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Did Job think it was just fine that he lost everything that mattered to him except his wife and his faith? No, he didn't think that. He was torn apart inside. He felt naked and embarrassed. That was the point of of tearing his clothes and shaving his head. But Job also believed that God had given him everything out of his sheer goodness and grace. And he believed it was God's right to do with it whatever he thought was best. That's conviction. Not this I believe in God kind of stuff. That's passing the test. You see, Job found himself worshiping God through his tears. In some sense, it may be the most most perfect, the most appropriate form of worship. 
with a sense of just brokenness. You know, those tears you cry when they get to the end of you, when you surrender and you come before the God who controls it all. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, I want to read the end of Job. Verse 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My, er- my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job saying, I knew about you. I had heard there were truths, but now I've seen. Now I've known intimately. And then he said in verse 6, Therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Verse 10 says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the troubles the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. And then in verse 16 it says, After this Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Now that's just the extravagant love of God. The, the beauty and the promise in Job is the presence of God in the midst of suffering. All that other stuff at the end, we got twice his stuff back, that was incidental. If you ask Job, hey Job, in the midst of this whole thing, what happened? He wouldn't have been like, it was great, at the end I got all my stuff back. He probably wouldn't even have mentioned it. It wouldn't even have been an asterisk, because it didn't matter. Because Job knew that that wasn't what it was about. That God brought him to a place that he moved from hearing about God to seeing God. And he wants to do that with us. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes he will express his love in such an extravagant way that it's overwhelming. That it's an embarrassment of riches. And sometimes, like Job, we get to be an old man full of years. We watch our family grow. Our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren as I ask Izzy to come up I want to close I want to pray and right now my prayer is that you move from hearing about God to seeing to knowing to an intimacy with him Lord I pray that you help us to trust you to really really trust you. Help us to know that you love us, that you are in control, that you're good. Help us to live for you all the days of our lives, regardless of the circumstances around us. We thank you for the unconditional peace you give us in Jesus. We thank you that through Christ we will never be separated from your love. Father, I pray that you continue to have your way in and through each of us, God. That we are able to comfort others with the comfort that we receive from you, as Pastor Jamie read this morning. That you intimately draw us 
to you, God, so that we look back and we don't even remember the difficulties and the suffering. We just remember the presence of a good and holy God who is always worthy of our worship and our praise. It's in his name we pray. Amen. you stray from one so fair you run away and one more time you have to pay the heaviness of needless shame oh heart of mine come back home You've been too long out on your own And he's been there all along Watching for you down that road So come home running His arms are open wide His name is Jesus, and he understands. He is the answer that you are looking for. So come home running, just as you child of God so dearly loved and ransomed by the Savior's blood and called by name daughter and son wrapped in the robe of righteousness so come home his arms are open wide, his name is Jesus, and he understands. He is the answer that you are looking for, so come home running just as you are. So come home running, his arms are open wide. Jesus, and he understands, he is the answer that you are looking for, so come home, run, just as you are. Father, we thank you, Lord. 
We thank you, Father, that you are always there for us, Lord. That you have chosen us, that you have called us, Father God. That you have given us the faith to believe. That we can look past the lie of the enemy and that is that you are holding back any good thing from us, God. Because your plan is perfect for us, God, even when we don't understand. May we run into your arms, Father God. May we renew our faith today, Lord, in you. Help us, Lord, to trust you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Shines for all to see. You're 